0: Hey, welcome to Eastgate Church. We're glad you're here. My name's Josh. I'm the lead pastor here. And we're doing things a little bit different this morning. So we got the lights down low. Don't let that throw you off. We're trying to set some atmosphere today. So if you're scared of the dark, grab the person's hand next to you. If you're not sitting next to somebody, scoot over to somebody close by and get to know them real fast and grab their hand if you need to. Not, It's already dark. You might as well get intimate, right? So... um it's a good way to meet somebody if you're single. I'm trying to help single people out and making the move on that person you've been looking at and not trying to say anything to. I'm trying to help you out as a pastor this morning. Uh, we're continuing our series today called You Ask For It and we had a lot of questions come in on spiritual warfare and that's what we're going to be talking about today, answering questions that have come in and me sharing what God dropped on my heart to share with you this morning. So what do you say we go ahead and dive into this? In the Bible, in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 5, there is a great warning that's given to us as believers regarding our enemy the devil. It says, "Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour." It says resisting Standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. You know, we've got an enemy out there called the devil. The Bible says he's prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, this passage of Scripture gives us a few things. One, we've got an enemy out there who's prowling around who's looking to take us out. Okay, The Bible says that we're supposed to resist him by standing firm in our faith. Outside our faith in Christ, it's open season on us, guys. So we've got to be alert. The other thing this passage of Scripture says is that the family of believers throughout the world undergoes the same kind of sufferings, the same kind of attack. That means that nobody is immune from the enemy's attacks. Nobody is immune from him prowling around looking to take you out. That goes for me. That goes for everyone in this room. That goes for everyone in this world. The enemy wants to take us out. Now, we live in a world in the physical where we can see things and touch things. And what we see here we think is reality. But in truth, there's another dimension out there called the spiritual world. That is just as real and honestly, it's probably more real than the world that we're living in today. Because what we see around us, while it looks real to us, it's a facade because it's not eternal. It's going to pass away. All the stuff that we come to count on, the job that we go to, the house that we live in, the things that we see, it's all temporary. But what happens in the spiritual world is eternal. eternal. So when you look at it that way, the spiritual dimension is actually more real than this world that we're living in today. Even though we can't see it, and rarely can we hear it, but I'm telling you this though, we've got a very real enemy who wants to take us out. He prowls around daily looking to take us out. Now imagine, if you will, That you're in a world that is in complete and total spiritual darkness. We're going to drop the lights in here. Because this is what the world looks like spiritually. It's dark. It's dark. In fact, the only light spiritually that's in this world is a light that we carry with us as believers in Christ. So this is the real representation of what we look like as we go out into this world spiritually. Darkness around us. Except for the light that we carry with us of hope and truth and love and salvation that can only come through Jesus. Now out in this darkness the enemy's still doing his work. Now imagine in this darkness you're in a field with everyone that you love and you care about. Your wife, your husband, your parents, your grandparents, your children, your grandchildren, even little scruffy your dog, you're out in the field alone with them surrounded by darkness. And let's just say that all the lights were out. No light at all in the field. But in this field surrounded by spiritual darkness, your enemy, the devil, is prowling around doing what he does best. And he's circling you and everyone that you care about. He has one goal to steal, to kill. Destroy. He wants to destroy it all. that we live in spiritually. That he prowls around looking for someone to devour. And if we're not prepared and we're not ready spiritually, we can easily fall prey to every scheme and every trap that he wants to set because he circles around waiting for an opportunity to take us out. Now today we're going to take a look at some of his strategies, some of the stuff that he likes to do, so that we can be prepared for that day. And I can promise you this, nobody in this room is immune from the attacks of the enemy. And he's circling around each and every one of us and those we love the most looking for an opportunity to come in and devour each and every one of us. So let's take a look at this stuff today. We're going to dive into the Bible and take a look at spiritual warfare, what the Bible says about it, and how we as believers can be better prepared. Are you all ready for that? Let's bring up the lights and let's dive into this truth today. Are you guys excited for the word? And I want to prepare you guys. I want to prepare you because the enemy wants to take you out. We're going to start by answering some questions that have come in regarding spiritual warfare. There's a lot of them that came in, and we're going to look at three of the main ones, and then we're going to get into some good teaching today. If we've got an enemy out there who's looking to take us out, listen, we whether we want to be or not, we're in the middle of a spiritual struggle on this earth between the powers of darkness... And the kingdom of God. The kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of God. And each man has the opportunity to choose. And each woman has the opportunity to choose which kingdom they're going to bow down to. So if this stuff called spiritual warfare is actually real, then are there angels and are there demons? Are those things real? Are angels and demons real? It's a question that came in. Absolutely. Absolutely. The enemy that we face is 100% real. And angels are 100% real. The Bible is full of examples of what the angels are going to be doing. they were incredibly busy in the Old Testament. They were incredibly busy in the life of Jesus. They're going to be busy in end-time prophecy. Um, There's actually going to be a point in time where angels are actually going to be flying around the earth, preaching the gospel to people. How crazy is that going to be? And with all of that happening, there's still going to be people that shake their fist at God and refuse to believe in him and submit their lives to him. How crazy is that? We can be stubborn as people. Are demons real? Absolutely. You can see in the Bible plenty of examples of of demon activity in the world. What are demons? Demons are fallen angels. On the earth today, And that's a key phrase right there, on the earth today. Because a lot of people, like when you watch Hollywood movies and all of this stuff, you get, they present this picture that, that the devil and the angels are in hell and Satan's got his, his throne in hell and he's ruling and operating from there. But that's not the reality. The Bible says that Satan and all the demons are in operation on the earth today. Hell was created as a place of punishment for the devil and his angels. Okay? They haven't been shipped there yet, and then eventually they're going to land in the lake of fire. They're not there yet. They're in operation on the earth today. Now, I was in a, I was in a youth service one time where we were ministering a billion years ago um, when I was young, and we were in, in the altar time in the service, and there was this young girl who started to kind of manifest When I say manifest, it means that she was possessed by a demon, an evil spirit, and that spirit began to get a little rowdy and get loud, and she she was just doing some crazy stuff and shouting and screaming and interrupting the altar time, and what was happening was the presence of God was powerful in the place. People were getting set free, and the spirit that had taken possession of this young girl was getting uncomfortable because it knew what was fixing to happen, and it was trying to get the girl out of there before we could cast the spirit out, which is biblical too, okay? It doesn't just happen on the exorcist. It can happen in real life. People can be possessed by demons, and we as believers can cast the demons out. I think you can go as deep down that rabbit hole as you want to and end up in some really weird stuff, but for practical purposes, yeah, you can cast demons out of people. And so this is what's crazy is they, they brought her over to pray for her. And the demon threw her down on the ground. And she just started convulsing. And just, ah, just everything you think it would be is what was happening. You know, Her eyes were rolled back. And she was kind of just, ah, just, you could just see. This girl's not acting like this girl's supposed to act. She was not having a seizure. Okay? It was a manifestation of an evil spirit. There was a grown man on her right leg holding her down to the ground or trying to. There was another grown man on her left leg. And the same thing, right arm, left arm, holding her down. There was a woman at her shoulders holding her down, praying over her. And I say holding her down loosely because that girl, that listen now, soaking wet, this girl might have weighed 85 pounds, was tossing these people around like they were rag dolls. Okay? Until somebody came over and took control of the situation and spoke to the spirit and cast it out. Now that's real. How many of y'all have ever experienced something like that in life or in ministry? Yeah. have seen some crazy stuff. i got one guy who's a friend of mine who in California. Now I don't know if this is true or not. But in California he said they were out witnessing the people on the streets. And they saw this demon possessed person who was just acting really crazy. And he said, and his whole family will testify because they were out there, and he's got friends that will say, I saw it too. I don't know what I was seeing, but I saw it. A person walked up to a building and started to crawl up the thing backwards like a spider and then just went down the side of the building and disappeared. Crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know if maybe they just had too much pizza the night before. Or what the deal was. But he he swears up and down. I saw it. I can't believe it. Spirits do possess people today. Demons are very much at work today. Trying to carry out the enemy schemes to deceive people in this world and the believers of God. So yeah, very much at work. Uh, If those things are happening, though, does Satan have powers? And if he has powers, can he use those powers against us? Look me right here. Okay? Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely, the enemy has powers. Absolutely, he can use them, listen now, on people who are not covered by the blood of Jesus, on people who are not believers, on people who are in bondage to sin and have not been set free. Okay, if a Christian gives him permission, then the, Satan can pretty much do anything that he wants to with them over time through oppression and deception to get them to the place that he wants them to be. What are you talking about, Josh? Well, we know from the book of Revelation that Satan, or the Antichrist and the false prophet, they're going to be able to call down fire from heaven. That's a miraculous act. Um, we know from the Old Testament in the book of Job, Satan, at least at this point, was able to control the weather, created a storm and a wind to knock down the house. The Bible says that the devil did that. There's a whole lot of stuff that the enemy can do. Now, if you're not a Christian, that should scare you to death. All right? But if you are a Christian, you don't have that much to worry about. Okay? Because the enemy's defeated. I'll say that again the enemy's defeated. Amen? Amen. He's defeated. So if, if he can't hit us with his special devil powers and he can't do all this stuff to us as believers, his attack on us through spiritual warfare is completely different. He operates completely different. What I want to do is get into the Bible and, and give you a rundown of some of the stuff that he does and how he does it. Because as a believer, it's very important for us to pay attention to this because he's really good at what he does and he's really tricky. And his end game for you is to kill, steal, and destroy. His end game for everyone that you love about love is to kill, steal, and destroy your children, your grandchildren, everybody that you care about. That's what he wants to do. And he's constantly, the Bible says, prowling around looking for an opportunity to do it. That means we got to take this stuff serious as believers. While we've got the victory, that means that we can't let our guard down. That's why the Bible says to be self controlled and alert, to pay attention to what he's doing. Now let's go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Says finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Whose power? his power, the Lord. The Bible says when Jesus was speaking, he says I'm the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me you can do nothing. It's all on Jesus. Our victory is on Jesus. Our authority is in Jesus. Our protection from the enemy is found in Jesus. This is why it starts finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That means you need to be hooked up with God and make sure that you're operating in his power. Put on the full armor of God's So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Because there's going to come a time where we have to take our stand. Okay? Now, while we operate in the strength and the power of God, when it comes time to stand, we're the ones that are going to have to do the standing. God doesn't do the standing for us. We have to choose to resist or to bow down to the schemes of the enemy. Make sense? On the day of, the, of, of uh, so that we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. Devil's schemes is highlighted for a reason. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The devil's schemes. This is what we as believers have got to be on the lookout for, okay? He's not going to hit us head on. He's going to use schemes. Now, the word schemes here, are you ready for this? This is probably not going to be a brain buster for everyone in here, but I want to break down what this word schemes actually means. The enemy schemes, the devil schemes, is a deceptive strategy. He says, be on the lookout for the deceptive strategies of the enemy. He's at work strategizing and moving constantly to put us in a place of vulnerability so that he can pounce on us. And listen, it doesn't matter to him if it takes three weeks or 30 years. He'll play the long game with your life if he needs to, to set you up. That's why we have to be self-controlled and alert. Because he's always constantly trying to work a deceptive strategy a deceptive strategy to take us out. There's a chess player um, who played chess for a while and became a champion chess player. And after winning tournament after tournament, he finally, he accrued enough money. He thought, you know what? I've got a lot of money in the bank. I'm just going to take some time off. I'm going to take some time off and I'm going to do some of the things that I love. And he thought, you know what? I'm going to travel around the world and I want to go to art galleries and just look at beautiful art for the next three months. That's going to be my life. So he books his tickets and he starts his tour and he goes to gallery after gallery looking at all of these beautiful pieces of art, museum after museum looking at all these beautiful pieces of art. Till finally over in Europe, he comes to this one piece of art that he just immediately connects to because it's a picture of a chessboard. He says, Oh, And he was studying it. And on this side of the chessboard was the devil. And he was kicked back in his chair and he was smiling and just full of joy. And the picture was of him laughing and in complete control of the situation. And on the other side of the chessboard there was a man. And the man looked completely distraught. And he was crying. And there was just just doom and despair on his face. And his hand was up on his face like this because he knew he had been defeated. And the name of the painting that the man was looking at when he looked up and saw the name, it was called Checkmate. And the man thought, wow, how dark that in the struggle represented on a chessboard that the devil got the best of this man and now he owns him. Checkmate. And then the chess player studied the, the painting for a little bit longer and said, Hmm. Hmm. And his eyes lit up and said, You've got to be kidding me. So he runs out to his rental car and he gets this little carry around chess set that he has just in case he can get a pickup game with somebody. He walks back into the museum and he looks at the, the painting. And he opens up the, the, the kit he has, and he begins to set up his chessboard on the floor. And he looks up at the painting, and he looks back at his board, and he sets the pieces up exactly as they are on the board that's in the painting until he gets it perfect. It's a mirror image of what he's looking at in the painting. And he studies it for just a little bit. And then he just starts laughing as loud as he can. Just laughing as loud as you can see. He started laughing so loud, he made a scene, and a crowd started to gather around him. And the curator of the museum came over to see what was going on because he was causing such a commotion. And the guy says, Don't you see it? Don't you see it? And they're like, What are you talking about? He goes, The game, the board. He's laughing because he's winning, but he's not really winning. This guy over here has still got one move left, and in one move, this guy can take the board and win the game in one move, but he doesn't realize it. See, this is what the enemy tries to do with us. He tries to set up the pieces in such a way that we don't see the way out, that we think we're doomed, that we think we've lost everything, and he sells it by kicking back and laughing. But I'm here to tell you today that we've got one more move, and in one move, we can win the The whole game and his name is Jesus and if you're here today listen I'm telling you don't let the enemy deceive you and lie to you and think that you're always going to be what you've always been and the situation that you that you're in right now that there's no way out of and that you you don't have a hope that you don't have a future that you're always going to be broke that God has turned his back on you he's lying to sell the board but I'm telling you there is one move left that will win the game every time. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And if you look back in the Old Testament, the whole Old Testament, you can see this move one after another take place. Especially if you look at it creatively, you can see God creates the angels in heaven. Satan moves and rebels against God and takes a third of the angels with him in this rebellion. So God makes a move and kicks Satan out of heaven. He says, you can't stay here anymore. Jesus actually said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. That's how fast he got his butt thrown out of heaven. Boom, just like that. So God throws Satan out of heaven and creates man in his own image and in his likeness. Satan makes a move and deceives mankind and gets them to fall into sin. God makes a move. And creates blood sacrifice as a temporary covering for sin. Satan makes a move and deceives Cain into killing Abel to try to cut off the bloodline. God makes a move, and through Seth, he's able to turn the hearts of men back to God. Satan makes a move through Nimrod, and Nimrod draws the nations of the world together, and they begin to... Establish the Tower of Babel in unity, and they tried to establish a religion in opposition against God. So God moves and knocks it all down, confuses the languages of men, spreads us out, and then he finds a man named Abraham and calls the nation of Israel into existence and calls them to himself as his own people. So Satan makes a move and says, all right, I'm going to lock them up in slavery in Egypt. And God makes a move and he finds a man named Moses who he says, go tell that guy Pharaoh to let my people go because I'm going to bring my people into the land that I promised to them. You can see this move happening over and over again through scripture until finally God says, all right, enough of this. I've done a lot through men. I'm going to seal the deal myself. And so he puts his son Jesus in flesh on the earth and makes the move of all moves. God becomes man on this earth to be the sacrifice for freedom once and for all. So Satan makes a move and he says, you know what? If he's in the flesh, then he's vulnerable to temptation. Maybe I can get him to fall into sin. So Satan tries to tempt Jesus in the wilderness and Jesus makes a move and hits him back with every temptation. He hits him with the word of God and puts him in his place. So Satan says, all right, if I can't, trick this guy, then I got to kill him. Maybe I can kill the son of God since he's in the flesh and be done with this whole struggle. So Satan makes the move and a son of man is lifted up and crucified and killed on the cross. But here's what Satan didn't realize through this whole game, that the game was fixed from the beginning that the Bible says that the Lamb of God was slain from the foundations of the earth. That means God had the end game in place before the game ever started. And the devil was the real pawn in the whole thing. And God was creating a beautiful picture of his work of salvation for us to look back on and enjoy. And Jesus made the final move three days later when the stone rolled away and he rose from the dead. And he said, here I am with the final victory over death, over hell, and over the grave. It was over before it started. Wasn't even in the game from the beginning. And this is the way it works with us. You realize as Christians, it's over before it starts. Because Jesus is the final move. He's the final move. Now, there's some schemes, though, that the devil will do. Because he knows he can't hit us. He knows he can't take us out because of who we are in Christ. So he moves in deceptive strategies. But the thing is, when Satan moves, he moves in predictable patterns. Every time. He moves in predictable patterns every time. And two of the main things that he does, and we're going to talk about these today. Two of the main things that he does. Two of the main deceptions that he operates in are through temptation and through attacking our identity. Through temptation and through attacking our identity. We're going to look at temptation first. Turn with me, if you got your Bibles or your tablets, um, to the book of Genesis, chapter 3. We're going to start reading at verse 1. All of these notes today for the message are available on... Uh, version also, if you want to follow along there on your phone or your tablet. Temptation. He tries to tempt us. Here's why. Because if he can tempt us, the end game of temptation is to get us to sin. And if we sin, then we can open up the door for ourselves to step back into spiritual bondage. And being slaves to sin again. He wants to get us to fall. That's his game. Now I'm going to walk you through this process. And we're going to look at what he did to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Genesis 3, 1 through 6. This is what he does every time. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say? You must not eat from any tree in the garden. Did God really say? In the process of temptation, what the devil is going to do is he's going to try to confuse your standing on the word of God. He's going to try to dilute what God has said in his word or what God has said to you personally. Okay, the only weapon we have in this picture of spiritual warfare that we're in, just given in Ephesians 6, is the sword of the spirit, which is what? The word of God. The only thing that we have to fight the enemy with or defend the enemy with is the truth of the word of God. This is what he's going to come to first. And he's going to try to dilute your understanding or he's going to try to dilute your standing in the word of God. Because if he can get that first, then you've got nothing to defend yourself with. And he can get in close and carry on his scheme of temptation. So he's going to hit you like he hit Eve. Did God really say... Does the Bible really say this? I mean, is it really for us today? He's going to attack that time with Jesus. When you find yourself in a place where you're too busy to spend time with God, you're in trouble. Okay? You're in trouble because he's diluting that word of God in you to open you up for temptation. I've never seen in my entire life, I have never seen a person who was in the Word of God daily, who was in the house of God every time the doors were open, and who was doing what the Bible said to do with their life. I have never seen a person who did that willfully, willfully turn away and walk away from God because they're solid on the foundation of the Word of God. But I've seen plenty of people who don't spend time in the Word of God every day, who fill their schedule with distractions and entertainment and don't take this stuff serious, who rarely show up to church, who really don't apply the Word of God to their life. Those are the people that I counsel all the time. Those are the people that I go visit their family because of whatever situation they put them in. So the, the, that, the, that group of people right there are constantly falling into the temptation of the enemy because they're not solid on the Word of God. Makes sense? So you've got to be solid. He'll try to attack that first because it's all you've got Really, to defend yourself with. So the woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die. That's my devil voice. That's probably how he said it. At least I imagine that way. You ain't gonna die. Whatever. The serpent said to the woman, For God knows when you eat it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good. And evil. You will not certainly die. He will always try to remove the reality of consequences from the equation. So he's going to delete your standing on the word of God. And then in your mind, he's going to try to remove the consequences for the decisions that you're fixing to make. If you eat this fruit, you're not really going to die. Even though God said you would, you're not going to die. He's removing the consequence. If you sleep around, you're not going to get anybody pregnant. You're not going to get any sexually transmitted diseases. If you get drunk and get in the car and you drive because you think you can get home, you're not going to kill anybody. You're not going to get it. He'll remove the consequences from the equation to make the temptation even more sweeter. You see how he works here? He's real good at what he does. And once he removes the consequences... Then we see the temptation in a different light. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye. And also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. And also gave some to her husband. Who was with her. And he ate it. Now Eve had just been in the garden. And God said. Eat anything you want to. Just not from that tree. If you do. You'll die. And Satan came in and systematically confused her on what God said. Removed the threat of consequence. And she saw the temptation through the lens of the devil's presentation. Not through the truth of the word of God. She saw it exactly how Satan wanted her to see it. She saw it was good for food. And pleasing to the eye. Not forbidden by God and a cause of death. Good for food. Pleasing to the eye. Desirable for gaining wisdom. And she took some and she ate it. He wants to dilute your word of God. So that he can remove the consequences. So that you see the temptation through the lens that he wants you to see it through. And then he's got you. He's really good at temptation. And it doesn't matter how long it takes. He'll play the game as long as he needs to play it to get you where he wants you. He's really good at it. Temptation is his game. Okay? But the choice is on us. We choose. We choose. Everybody say choose. Okay, we choose. That means we don't have to accept the temptation. We can reject it. Okay, when we fall into sin, it's because we choose to do it as Christians. Because in Christ, we've been set free from sin. Amen? We've been set free from the chains of sin. We've been set free as a slave to sin, the Bible says. That means that it doesn't control us anymore. That means we've got the ability to say no. But the devil wants to dilute this and tempt us in such a way that we say yes every time. Why? We'll get to that in a second. How many of y'all ever been a Longhorn? Dude, I love Longhorn. I love the steaks. Y'all the Wild West shrimp at Longhorn? Yeah. It is good if you haven't tried it. It's really good. I like to get the salmon there. It's really good. Kelly likes to get the Rocky Top chicken when we go, like clockwork. She's almost always going to get it. But every time we're there, we have this big debate on whether or not we're going to get dessert. And our dessert is usually this thing right here. That's called a chocolate stampede. Now look at this for a minute and this is why it's so hard to say no to chocolate stampede because it's got the beautiful ice cream with it but it's like chocolate cake with chocolate mousse with chocolate shavings with chocolate dripping off of it. How can you not like that? That's just amazing to me the chocolate stampede is so stinking good. In fact I I knew this was going to happen because I usually can't talk about it without wanting some. So I I, I had some set up to bring in here just in case. Pastor Jeremy, can you bring that up here real fast? Oh, my gosh. Because I can't hardly talk about it without wanting some because, I mean, look at this stuff. Can you guys see this? There's a bite taken out of this. Somebody already. Look at this. So stinking good. Mousse and the chocolate chunks. And what's crazy is this is the actual portion you're going to get when you order it. This isn't a double order. This is the real deal. So you're going to get this with like chunks of ice cream. I didn't bring ice cream in because I get messy when I eat this stuff. And I didn't want to mess up a pretty uh, sanctuary this morning. Who wants a bite of chocolate stampede? I'll give you some. We got extra spoons and plates and all that stuff. Like, who wants one legit? Hands up, let me see. I'll share with you right now. All right. I may have to get one bite. God, let me look at this stuff. Who wants a bite? We'll just start with a bite. Some of y'all might want like a whole section, just a bite, a quick bite. Anybody want a bite? I'll give it to you. It'll be completely awkward, but it'll be awesome. Anybody? No? Who wants the chocolate stampede? Media team's going crazy back here. I'm going to hook the media team up. You guys kill it, because our media team does a great job every week. Don't, do they not? Man, oh, man, oh, man, Chocolate Stampede is so good. See, that's how temptation works, though. All right? When y'all came in here, you weren't even thinking about Chocolate Stampede, probably, unless you're going to Longhorn afterwards, all right, till I showed it to you. And then you started thinking about it. But when I brought it in, and it was real, and it was here, dude, some of y'all, your, your willpower just went, it's done. Yeah, I me. I watched you. I watched some of you resist, and your hands didn't go up the first time. You're like, no, I shall not. I've been eating good for three days now, for three whole days. And then the second time I asked, you went, oh, forget it. I can start again tomorrow. It's just like that, you know. That's how temptation works though. We're not even thinking about it, then it's presented. And then we begin to think about it. (laughs) And over time we say, Yeah, I think I think that's what I want. I need some chocolate stampede. That's how he works, man. He's tricky. That's what he does every single time. The second thing that the enemy tries to hit us with in spiritual warfare as believers is he attacks our identity because if he can't get you to fall into sin then he's going to try to get you to be ineffective and unproductive as a Christian so that you're not a threat to him and that's what he wants to do now, i want you to look at the book of Matthew chapter 4 starting at verse 2 this is the account of Jesus going out to the wilderness to be tempted by the enemy After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Yeah, Matthew's captain obvious. I think he probably would be. I would be too. The tempter came to him to tempt him, and he said, now look at this. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Immediately, he begins to attack the identity of Jesus and debate him into a prideful move. Well, if you're the son of God, feed yourself. If you are. Who you say you are. If you are, it's an attack on identity. It's an attack to, to prove that you're something that you don't have to prove. If you are something, you don't have to prove it. If you're a man, you don't have to tell people you're a man. That's why every man in this room knows when you see a young buck walking around going, I'm a grown man, I'm a man, I'm a man. No, you're not. You're a big boy who wants to get recognized as a man, but pay enough bills, and sooner or later, you'll grow up, little buck. It'll be just fine, because if you're a man, you don't have to tell people you're a man. Can I get an amen from the guys? That's what I'm telling you. So Jesus says, it's written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He hits him back with the word of God. The devil took him to the holy city and had him stand up on the highest point of the temple. And he says, if you are the son of God. Here we go again. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it's written, he'll command his angels concerning you and they'll lift you you up in their hands and you won't strike your foot against a stone and Jesus answered it's also written don't put the Lord your God to the test every time the devil comes in to try to bait him on his identity Jesus lands on the word of God and again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor all this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Why does it matter that the enemy will come against Jesus and say, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world if you'll just bow down and worship me? See, we read this and sometimes we forget the context of what's happening here in the Bible. Okay? Jesus had just spent the first 30 years of his life as the Son of God in utter obscurity. 30 years. Well, he's Jesus. Yeah, but he was 100% man too. That means that for 30 years Jesus was tempted just like we are. That for 30 years, the Son of God who stepped out, think about this, now put yourself in Jesus' shoes. The Son of God who stepped out of the splendor of heaven, where he was worshiped and adored, and the beast flew around 24 7, crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. He stepped out of that onto the earth where he never heard a word of worship. Where the sun rose and the sun set and he was tempted. and dealt with the frustrations of something called the process. But he was obedient through the process regardless of what he felt in the flesh. Praise God. After 30 years of being a carpenter's son, probably building chairs and tables on some side road in Nazareth, he walks down to the Jordan River and the skies split. He's caught out by John the Baptist. Comes up out of the water, sky split. The voice of God says, that's my son whom I love. Right there, that's my son. Gets validated after being in the process And then the Bible says he gets led by the Spirit back into the wilderness again in the middle of nowhere into another process of fasting and praying for 40 days and 40 nights. After 30 years of no recognition, he finally begins to step into who he is and then he gets yanked away from it again. And now, The devil shows him the kingdoms of the world in a moment and says, Hey, you don't have to wait anymore. I'm in control of this right now anyway. I'll give control of all of this stuff back to you. No strings attached. You can have it all. You can be the man. You can be in charge of all these kingdoms. You don't have to go through this process anymore you don't have to die on a cross. You don't have to suffer. You can have it now. You know what? Just, you know, just just worship me a little bit. Bow down. And I'll give it all to you. He gives him an easy way out of the process. The biggest part. The biggest part. Of your development. As a believer. Into who God wants you to be. The biggest part is staying in the process of God's development of who he wants you to be. Okay? And you'll see highs where you get recognized and you'll see lows where you get just janked right back out into the desert. And listen to me, all right? Am I telling the truth or not? This is where the devil will try to frustrate you the most. Because you'll sit back and you'll say, I thought it should have happened. By now. Maybe I didn't hear God speak the way that I thought He did. Maybe He hasn't called me to do this. I thought I'd had the victory in this by now, but I'm still going through this process. And the devil will come in in the middle of your frustration. If he can't tempt you with sin, he will confuse your identity through frustration, and he'll say, You know what? I'll give you a shortcut right here, right now. And it might not be the perfect picture of what God wants you to be, but I can give you a really good counterfeit that you can take right now. And he'll try to get you to take the easy road to step out of the process of development so that he can rob your potential. Because every time you take the substitute of the enemy, still... Kill and destroy is always what's going to happen. And you'll find yourself outside of the will of God. Outside of your destiny. Outside of the process. And even though you took a quick grab and got some happiness, eventually what's going to happen? You're going to become frustrated. You're going to feel isolated. You're going to get angry because things aren't happening the way you thought they would because you took the bait. And you're landing in a place where the enemy is have a heyday with you. Taking the bait. Because if he can't get you to doubt your identity, he'll get you to forfeit your identity for a quicker version of who God has called you to be. And that's how he works in the life of the Am I telling the truth or am I telling the truth this morning? I thought my kid would have turned back to the Lord by now. I thought... The business would have been making money by now. I know God told me to start it, but it's not producing like I thought. I thought I'd see more fruit in my ministry by now. I thought for sure that I, and he'll come in and he'll cause doubt and the identity of who God has called you to be to get you where he wants you to be. Temptation and identity. Two things that he'll use the most against us. Now, that doesn't sound flashy and awesome. Most of us would rather have us walking down the street and the devil pop up and try to hit us with a fireball. And we go, and we block it. And then we kung fu chop him. But that's not how it happens. It's not how it happens. He's real subtle because he's a roaring lion waiting for his opportunity. Not just for you, but those that we care about too. We got to take this stuff seriously. Got to take this stuff seriously, because he's hard at work to take us out. So, what's our role? So, what would be my role in spiritual warfare? We talked about what the enemy does. We talked about some of the ways that he's do, he that he does this and how he sets us up. So, what do we do? What do we do? Are you ready for this? First thing in a world that's spiritually dark, you got to be light. Be light. Be light, because in a world that's spiritually dark, the only light that's present is the light of Christ that we carry around with us. Amen? We've got to be light. That means we've got to actively be showing the love of God to those who desperately need it, because we're in a battle for the souls of people. We're in a battle for the souls of people to be light to our family, to be light at work, to be light on the streets, to be light everywhere we go to let people know about this Jesus that we so desperately are in love with who's done so much awesome things in our lives. We've got to be light in the darkness. The second thing we've got to do is we've got to stand firm and prepare for battle because it's going to come, okay? We can't walk around naive and not think that we're going to be salt and be light and be who God's called us to be and not have the enemy come and try to take us out, okay? Because when we do that, we're a threat to him. i got news for you. If you haven't been attacked by the enemy in a while, it's not because he doesn't want to take you out. It's probably because you haven't been a threat to him. Light, light, light. And be ready because the enemy's going to come. We've got to stand firm on the word of God and be ready for battle to be ready for the schemes of the enemy to see it when he begins to operate in the lives of our children to see it when he begins to pick on our spouse when he begins to work in our lives to see it when he's in operation in our ministries or in the lives of the people that we care about to be ready and be prepared for the battle because it's not if it comes it's when it comes because the enemy is going to come knocking on the door of those that you love and care about the most sooner or later because he's prowling constantly waiting for that opportunity. So we've got to be ready. We've got to be in the Word of God. We've got to be ready to take that stand and push him back. There's too much at stake. There's too much at stake with it. So what's the third thing that we've got to do? After we stand firm and after we prepare, we've got to make war. We've got to make war. We've got to make war. The Bible says The Bible says that we don't fight for victory. The Bible says that we fight with victory. But we still got to fight. We still got to take that stand. We still got to put the enemy in his place because he'll take as much ground as we let him take until we push him back and stand up in the authority that Jesus has given us. He'll take as much ground in in our family and in our household as we'll let him take until we say enough is enough and push him back. I don't know about you, but I'd rather take him out five miles down the road than have to fight him at my front door. Are you with me? I'd rather take him out down the road. How do we do that? Through prayer. Through prayer. By taking authority in the name of Jesus, by putting the devil in in his place by binding and loosing and saying I stand in the authority in the name of Jesus Satan I see you working in my house but you're not going to have my daughter you're not going to have my son you're not going to have the people that I care about you're not going to have my church you're not going to have my family you're not going to have this community you're not going to have one more soul because I am a soldier of Christ and I will fight the fight and not watch it happen around me make war so why don't this morning why don't we make some war why don't we hit the devil in the mouth why don't we spend some time praying for those that we love how many of you would say this morning how many of you would say I've got family I've got friends I've got people that I care about right now that I know the devil is trying to destroy how many of you would say that every one of us every one of us just about he's working and he's moving like a roaring Lion, let's rise up and put him in his place. What do you say? Can we do that this morning? I'm gonna ask the band to come up and lead us in some worship because worship is another big part of spiritual warfare, because worship brings the presence of God. And where the presence of God is, the Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's what? There's freedom, there's liberty. Where the presence of the Lord is, chains fall off. Where the presence of the Lord is, darkness has to flee. Where the presence of God is, man, that's where we're walking in the power that he's given us. So as they prepare to lead us and worship as we close the service today in prayer. I want to ask everyone who will, if you've got someone that you love about, love and care about and is getting picked on by the enemy, maybe you're here today and the enemy's been working on you and your eyes have been opened and you've seen what he's been trying to do in your life. Maybe he's been trying to frustrate you through temptation. Maybe he's been attacking your identity. Today is the day to take back the ground that the enemy's tried to steal in our households and in our lives. Amen? Let's go to war church. Let's go to war.